On today's Patriot Nation podcast, we have Austin Gale with us. He is the director of content from PFF and, of course, the co-host of the Tailgate podcast. We're going to be talking all things draft, obviously, with a Patriots focus. It's a heck of a show, so buckle up and cue the music. Austin, thank you so much for coming back. We really appreciate it. We love having you on, uh, and uh, you know, thank you for coming through, man. It's uh, we, we appreciate it. Absolutely, man. No, I appreciate you. I appreciate you guys having me on. What a change of a year! Because last year, I think we talked to you talked to you around the same time. The Patriots just spent north of you know a billion dollars, right? <laughs> and now they're the the most. What's the word I'm looking for? They haven't spent any money this year, obviously. <laughs> Um, when you kind of spend that much last year, obviously you're going to be handcuffed a little bit this year and, and the repercussions down the road. Right. So, um, happy to have you on for the draft. I think this is a very important draft for the Patriots considering their, you know, their needs and, and what's gone on this off season. Oh, absolutely. I, it's very exciting. I remember last year we were talking a ton about just how much they paid to improve. And I think you saw, I think they met, if not like slightly exceeded expectations last year, right? With Mac Jones playing as well as he did. And, um, you know, I did, they did not run as much 12 personnel as I think I projected on this podcast. It was actually one of the lowest rates in the NFL, which I still find stunning Shocking. investment they made in, in Hunter Henry and obviously John Smith. And I, I still think that they're probably regretting some of the weapon investments they've made, right? Especially if you're not going to play John Smith at, you know, 600, 700 snaps a season. I think it's, it's it's interesting how much money they spent on the players, especially with the snap design that they have on offense. So I, I do think that they maybe hit or slightly exceeded expectations with what they were trying to do. And now not spending a ton, they don't have like no cap space, but I think they're, you know, they're seeing some of that and it really does draw focus on the draft and, and they're going to have to improve with the first few picks that they have. Yeah. So sure. I mean, I figured we're probably just going to get straight into the draft, right? Cause free agency for the Patriots is their best free agent signing was a retired guy. So uh, just to get straight into the draft, I'm always interested to see, like on a national level, who national writers think that the Patriots are going to target because it's always different than us, you know, guys who kind of watch the team every day. So I, I did want to ask you first before we start, who, if you could do like a three to five positions that they should be looking for in the draft, what do you think those are? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of like I hinted at, I think Roger receiver is super important for this team. I, I'm surprised that they have not made investments in that position in free agency. I think there's probably, they probably tried with some of the receivers, but the market is insane right now. Christian Kirk signing an $18 million deal. I've talked to multiple agents that said that, you know, that completely reset the market. Like there's like a pause. There's like a national pause around the wide receiver market when Christian Kirk signs that $18 million per year deal. And it's a big reason why we didn't see a lot of wide receiver movement after that. And then you see Mike Williams sign this three-year, $20 million extension. You see Chris Godwin sign literally the exact same contract to the number on what he's trying to do. And then that resets what Devontae Adams wants. And that, you know, you talk to some people around the league and you hear that Devontae Adams getting the figure that he did pushed Tyreek Hill to ask for more. And that ultimately put the Kansas State Chiefs in a position where they're letting him request a trade. Like it's it, the receiver market got banana land this off season. I think Cooper cup could be asking for more money soon. I think Juju, uh, not Juju. Um, Stefan Davis could be asking for more money soon. That put the New England Patriots in a really tough spot to like actually add. I mean, you even see Marcus Valdez Scantling getting a three or $30 million deal who is not like developed into the route runner. He wants to be I had an opportunity to talk with him at the Super Bowl this year. And you know, he doesn't want to be as this deep threat that he is, but like, He's still not a developed, polished receiver. I mean, there's a reason Green Bay's letting him walk for the money that he's now getting, um, you know, you know uh, elsewhere. I think there's a lot of issue with the type of receivers that they have. So I do think they could hone in on a receiver at 21 now. That's not what New England likes to do. Like, I think they could be in the trenches here. They could be looking at offensive line. They could be looking at edge. And they still need help 
along the defensive line. I think they've been a team for a long time that's invested in rookie contracts at pass rusher because they know how valuable that position can, can be. And they're much more willing to develop young pass rushers than they are to pay good pass rushers, as we've seen letting Chandler Jones walk, letting Trey Flowers walk. I think they're going to hone in potentially at pass rusher here. If George Karloftis falls that far, I think they could be in on George Karloftis, the Purdue edge defender. But you know, Trayvon Walker's not getting there. Devontae Wyatt's not getting there. Jordan Davis isn't getting there. So some of these like other talented defensive linemen, they'll be on the outside looking in at pick 21. So I think receiver is probably more likely unless you see one of these guys fall. Yeah. Now, would you take a would you take a flyer and not a flyer? But considering you know the first round investment that they made on Nikhil Harry, that didn't work out, right? So you might have a little bit of a you know cold feet at that position if you believe in it or not. Is Jamison Williams an option, and will he be there at twenty one? Right, you coming off the ACL, um, you're probably not going to see him until Thanksgiving at best. Uh, you know, with a first round pick, you're investing that high of capital in him. You want to take your time, uh, but that's a top 10 talent, top 12 talent in, in this draft and could certainly help, you know, the development of Mac Jones. Cause I think this off season, mm-hmm. everyone looked at it like, Hey, this, this kid had a great rookie season. The best rookie quarterback was put in a great situation, but they've kind of taken two steps back this year, considering the off season that they've had and their, you know, their, uh, the conference around them has gotten substantially better. I, th- I think, you know, I'm never going to say there's no way a player gets to a spot, right? I think we've seen time and time again a lot of surprises there, specifically with fallers. I do think that Jameson Williams is likely to probably go inside the top 20 picks. And I also don't think he's the type of receiver that Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots invest in, especially in the first round. We know at receiver and quarterback, Bill Belichick and that tree covets size. And like, He's not going to weigh in what he did at the combine. Obviously, when you do get an injury to your ACL, you lose a lot of weight. Where you lose that first? In your legs. And with your legs, that's where a lot of your weight is. So at 178 pounds, he's going to play more than that. I think he said he plays at 190, 195. That's still not clearing a lot of the thresholds that I think New England wants at the receiver position or the size thresholds if they're going to invest a first-round pick. That's why it's more likely when you look at they have two, you know, they have three top 100 picks. I think they're more likely at that 54 spot to target a guy like George Pickens of Georgia, Jalen Tolbert of South Alabama, Justin Ross of Clemson, even though Christian Watson. Yeah, Christian Watson, if he falls that far, I think there's a chance he goes inside the top 50. But like they're going to look for size at receiver. It's a big reason why they like to kill Harry. Now, has that panned out? Not necessarily. I think that at 21, the receiver I could see them go after is Traylon Burks. But I think there have to be concerns with, you know, some of the athletic testing that you can see. I don't necessarily feel that. He's the receiver that he was billed as, at least from Bruce Feldman's freaks list or some of the explosiveness that people saw on tape. I did not see that level of explosiveness from Traylon Burks that people were speaking to. People expected low four fours for the guy at six foot three, two twenty-five. I'll tell you what, he's got the size. He's definitely like the size threshold that New England chases. I think that could be more of an option for them. Now, do I like Jamison Williams over Traylon Burks? Absolutely. But I think New England probably locks into Burks over Williams on their board. And therefore I think that's probably a better option for them if, and that's if they want to invest in receiver at 21, there's a really good chance they'd rather go along the defensive line or hell, even offensive tackle. If they're trying to invest at high value positions. Yeah. I just, I think it'd be crazy to take Burks. I mean, especially Patriots fans of PTSD with, you know, the same as Nikhil, same exact thing. And you look at it and just say like, if they take him in the first round of 21, people are going to riot in the streets. I mean, it's going to be crazy. Um, I do think it's funny. You mentioned Jordan Davis and, and he's a guy who, you know, I go back to 04 and 2004 Patriots are sitting there at 21 and Vince Wilfork, who should have been a top 10 to 15 pick drops down the drops down the draft board because there were concerns about a nose tackle playing enough snaps to justify a top 20 pick. 
he drops all the way to 21. The Patriots sprint to the podium and take him. And of course, he ends up being, you know, borderline Hall of Fame player. I don't know if Jordan Davis is ever going to be as good as Vince Wilford, but you know, you look at a guy like that, and, and maybe the maybe the explosive, you know, the explosive stuff that he did at the combine will be enough to kind of push past those questions. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know if there's many teams in the league that are going to want to draft a nose tackle, you know, at at twenty, at, at you know, fifteen or sixteen. I, I just I don't know if that's going to happen. And so, especially now, where you look at teams that want to draft quarterbacks, you know, quarterbacks are going to go early. And so there are going to be quarterbacks that go. That's going to push these guys down the list. I wouldn't be surprised necessarily to see Jordan Davis fall outside the top twenty. And the Patriots, I mean, I mean, they, look, they 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 invested a top forty pick last year in Barmore, but then you got Barmore and and Davis. I mean, that would be pretty scary, I think, for opposing offenses. Yeah, I, I personally feel that there's a very low chance that he does get past the 15-16 number, and it's because of the team picking at that spot. It's the Philadelphia Eagles at 15 and 16. And if they didn't have yeah. three first-round picks, I think there's a good chance that Jordan Davis does fall. But I'd be absolutely stunned if he does get past that 16 spot, knowing that the Eagles don't have to you know, dump all of their chips into high-value positions, right? They can afford to take a flyer on a guy that maybe only plays 400 to 500 snaps a season, but is this difference maker because they have the 15th pick and the 19th pick if they wanted to go that direction. Now, I'll say this. You can quote me on this. You can tattoo it on your neck. There's a 0% chance Jordan Davis gets by the Patriots at 21. If he falls that far, it's just not going to happen. He will be their pick at 21. It's exactly what Bill Belichick covets. It's the exact position group he looks for, size, explosiveness, all that stuff. There's a reason they sprint the card in for Vince Wilfork a few years ago. Not few, probably 10 plus. I do feel that Jordan Davis is likely to go inside the top 16, and then you have 17 with the Los Angeles Chargers, and now they did invest in defensive tackles. They brought in Sebastian Joseph Day from the Los Angeles Rams. I just think it's a talent you don't pass on at that point. Right. Like, he is he is rarer, rarer than even what he's billed as, and I think the snap concerns are legit. Like, you know, everyone says, but they had such a loaded defensive line. Like, that's why he didn't play that much. He only played 46% of the early down snaps at Georgia. That's third behind the two other defensive tackles they had in Jalen Carter and Devontae Wyatt. Like, so everyone wants to say he only plays rundowns, or everyone wants to say they had other talented defensive ends or defensive linemen. It's like, yeah, they did. And Devontae Wyatt's, you know, arguably better and arguably more valuable. With Jordan Davis, I don't think he gets past 16. If he does, I don't think he gets past 17. However, quote me on this. If he goes to 20, if he's he's available at 21, I think you can sharpie that sharpie that name in for the Pats. Yeah. A position that we haven't talked about is corner. And if there's anything that the Patriots need right now, it's a corner. They're rolling with Malcolm Butler and Jalen Mills, who, like I said, one was retired, one's not even a corner by trade. So in this class, I feel like we all kind of have different views on the class itself. I think it's super deep, but the top end talent isn't there. Some people might disagree. I just want to get your thoughts on that and what the Patriots might do there. Yeah, I like corner. I think they could like a guy like Tyre Elam, who's a longer, bigger corner that has press technique or press press experience, right? I think that's that's probably the only corner in the first round that I could see them coveting, unless you know one of the bigger names falls, like a Mod Garner. If Mod Garner falls at twenty one, like he's exactly what Bill yeah. Belichick looks for at the position. Kyrie Elam too, like is the tackler that he looks for. He's got the arm, ta- he's got the you know the height. Like I do think Kyrie Elam of Florida will be an option for them. Will definitely be on the board. I think there will be other valuable players other players that are higher on their board at 21 that they can take i see Kyrie elam is more of a back end of the first guy i really like him going to have one of the picks for the kansas city chiefs and as for like day two 
you know, they, you know, investing in the slot is something that they have done in the past. I think Roger McCreary of Auburn is one of those guys that could do that. I think Daxton Hill of Michigan is another one that you could invest in. Marcus Jones is is really a, like very similar to My Cyrus guy. Jones, very similar to Cyrus Jones that the Patriots drafted a long time ago, and that valuable on defense, but like such a special returner. Now the injury stuff, I think, is a bit of a concern. I had him on my podcast, I think, a couple of weeks before the Senior Bowl, and he had to pull out of the Senior Bowl due to an injury. I think that could raise some concerns, raise some red flags. But um, I do think quarterback the quarterback class is good. I think after day one, it's a lot of slot types, and they're going to look for guys with press experience. That's why I bring up guys like Roger McCreary. And talking day two, right? <clears throat> we thought linebacker was kind of a huge need for them. They obviously swing a trade for Mac Wilson. You have guys like Cameron McGrone and Raquan McMillan coming back off injury. So maybe it's kind of been pushed down, but I, I feel like as for linebackers, right? Nicobe Dean is kind of a similar to build to Kyle Duggar. Like I don't, I don't think he fits their scheme uh, from a height and size requirement. Um, the only one is, is Devin Lloyd. I don't think that's a guy who gets there to 21, but day two, I feel like is loaded with talent, right? You got Christian Harris out of Alabama, Brandon Smith, uh, Darian Beavers, um, you know, guys like that, that really fit their mold. Um, is that a, is that a kind of a spot that they, you know, would, would draft some of those guys, right? The Alabama connection with, with Harris and also two, like you said, three picks inside the top 100 Patriots typically like, I know last year was a little bit different, but from past year's experience, that four to five pick range in, 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 uh, in the top hundred, right? Could you see them? I think trading back, unfortunately for Patriots fans is probably going to be the play here in my opinion, just because, you know, you can stack up, you know, trade that 21, move back to an early day two and pick up a, you know, a late third or something like that. And then you have, you know, five picks between 30 and hundred. Yeah, I can definitely see them trading back in this draft because they're looking to get cheaper, right? And a team that has invested as much as they did in the previous free agency, I think trading back and acquiring, when people are saying like acquiring picks, and this was highlighted in the Tyree Kill trades, like they got, you know, Chiefs were really excited to get five picks for Tyree Kill. And everyone's like, they're day three picks, but they need rookie contracts. Like the Chiefs mm -hmm. desperately need rookie contracts that are fixed, fixed weight, right? Like fixed cap space so they can be you know, more versatile with the players that they sign after the Frank Clark comes off their books, after maybe the Chris Jones comes off their books, Travis Kelsey comes off their books, all that stuff. So with the Patriots, I think they're going to view it very similarly. They love trading back. They love getting these guaranteed rookie contracts, these guaranteed three-year, four-year deals. And so that is an option. And as for the linebacker class, you know, Mike and I have talked about this on our show a ton. It's one of the best linebacker classes we've seen in recent years. Now, does that mean the Patriots invest or should they invest? in a low value position like linebacker with their top 100 picks, I'd probably advocate against that. No, but the, the guys that like probably are going to like, they're going to be licking their chops for, I think Darian Beavers in that, with that 85th overall pick could be an mm -hmm. option. The big, big linebacker that actually holds up phone coverage coming out of Cincinnati. I also think they could like uh, Channing Tindall. Channing Tindall probably needs to add some weight to like really fit what Belichick wants, but he's a, he's a pointed gun in a lot of ways, right? If you want him to do, you know, he's no, no one's Dante Hightower, but if you want him to just like rush the quarterback and sprint in a straight line, he's very, very good at that. And I think he could have a ton of value in like a limited, obvious role, right? You're not going to ask him to you know, wear the green dot necessarily and do all these different things and be multiple with his approach. But if you need a point of gun, he's one of the best off-ball linebackers on day two that you get. Yeah, I I think linebacker is an interesting thing. For the people not on the live stream right now, you've missed me shooting uh, dirty looks at both of my daughters have tried to walk in while recording. And I'm just like, get out of here. You know I'm recording. Get out of here. What are you doing? They got to come in for their drawing stuff. Or who the heck knows what they're even doing? It's just ridiculous. And then, of course, my students are flooding the chat with my students found uh, <laughs> on my uh, they're trying to get the subscribers up on, on Pat's pulpit. So they're all excited about it. So they're flooding the chat with with comments. So. Uh, so we got that going. We got that going on on the uh, on the live stream tonight. 
Uh, I do think linebacker is an interesting spot. Uh, Troy Anderson out of out of South Dakota State, I think, is an interesting guy too. Fits the weight profile. He doesn't necessarily play. You know, he's 245. Doesn't really play like it. Uh, I don't think he's not like a heavy. Uh, he's not a heavy like run stuffing guy. He doesn't get off blocks great, but he has the size. I don't know if that's something you could teach or not, but uh, that is a kind of interesting look at it. So uh, there were there were some prospects that we we always do a prospect of the week, and so we'll kind of bounce in and out but there's a guy that i love um that i wanted to chat with you about and that is uh that's zion mccollum zion mccollum dude it, it this kid man is is outrageous six two three hundred and i believe his um his uh his combine was outrageous like outrageous and of course he's, he's coming from sam houston state so sam houston state is such a weird country uh such a weird place because they spell bearcats with a k which i that makes no sense to me at all but whatever. They spell Bearcats with a K, which I thought was like a red flag. But 6'2", 200 pounds, about 200 pounds. And he runs like a 4'3", 3. And he was a sub, I think it was like a 6'8", 3 cone. And then a sub 4 second 20-yard shuttle. I mean, you don't see stuff like that from a guy that size, certainly. And now, you know, played at Sam Houston State. So he's not necessarily the guy that he doesn't, he's not super refined in coverage. He's not like this great, you know, he's not a finished product. So you're probably going to get a day three pick from that guy. But for a defense that looked incredibly slow last year, to have a guy with that size who can possibly play that press coverage a little bit, uh, I, I think would be a great get for the Patriots in day three. Yeah, I think he, uh, Zion McCollum uh, of Sam Houston State, and also Tariq Woolen of UTSA are these two corners that are getting coveted for their measurables a ton right now. I think Tariq Woolen probably fits the size and length thresholds that New England looks for, whereas McCollum, 6'2", 200, but only 30 and 30.45 yeah, arms. So arm length is going to be massive. Like, we, 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 we at PFF have looked a ton at arm length at every position, and it's so so comparable to like snaps played in the NFL, specifically at outside cornerback. So I do think that could be not a red flag, right? But it's not a box that he's checking necessarily from – with his length. Now the other measurables are insane. Six, four, eight, three cone is like hundredth percentile at the position. And for a guy at that size, it's absurd. Like I do think that he is going to have athletic testing or he has athletic testing, athletic measurables that people will buy into the arm length. I think will draw some concern. I see him as a day three guy that someone will invest in. And then it comes down to just like getting him opportunities in the right defense to play well. Right. I think there's when anytime you're talking about day three guys that you're taking flyers on, I think opportunity comes up a ton because situation is so important. You getting an opportunity to actually like develop as a player, where if you are fourth, fifth, sixth cornerback on the depth chart and you're struggling to even see time as special teamer, uh, that, that will be a concern in terms of developing those players. What's funny to me, and I feel like I have a lot of these conversations about like draft process overall, we talk about development for a first round quarterback all the time. Right? Oh, we got to, we got to give him the tools. You know, Tua Tungvaloa needs Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddell, a revamped offensive line so we can really develop Tua Tungvaloa, who's the number top three pick, you know? Zion McCollum needs that same level of development, but he's not going to see anywhere near the support, right? In terms of getting like a supporting cast and getting all these different things. So I, I, I do think that development is super important. Situation is super important for guys like McCollum and guys like Woolen. And it comes down to if you have a plan in place and you have opportunity in place for players like that to see the field early and get the development they need to actually become capable starters. Now, I think there is enough there for sure. Yeah. The one thing I will say, I will add about the three cone drill. I, Edelman's I thought was one of the most impressive I've ever seen, which is six six two. And I mean, six four eight is is I don't even I didn't even know it was possible to run an under six five. I mean, it's just a three cone drill that fast is just stupid. Um, so the the athleticism through the roof. But you're right, it, it you know the short the short arms is an issue. 
even with the size, right? Um, but you know, yeah, it, Tyreek Wollen is another guy too that uh, that I think would be interesting. So I like it. I, I advocate for more speed on on the defense because we need it desperately, especially with freaking Tyree Gill in the division now. I agree. I'm with you 100. I think that you can't you can you know you, you know, what, what does Chris Ballard say consistently? You're pl- constantly playing catch up on defense, right? And I think when you're reacting consistently, when you're reacting consistently, you know, one of the most important things you need on defense is speed. So getting investment there at the cornerback position is obviously important. You want to go head specs? Sure. Yeah. I was going to ask you about Kyle Phillips. Uh, I think this is a guy that, you know, watching him kind of has some Danny Amendola to him. I think he's a little bit bigger, but a guy who can play in the slot, a little bit of a possession guy, right. Going to move the chains, not necessarily, um, you know, I, I feel like he's a little bit more of a polished to Kobe Myers in a sense, but uh, if new England doesn't invest that high pick, right. That everybody wants him to into a receiver. Uh, I feel like Kyle Phillips is a guy that, you know, they may go after, uh, four-year guy. Um, I believe you saw him at the Shrine Bowl where he was, you know, basically uncoverable. Um, does a little bit to the, you know, his game fits New England scheme. I think that's a guy that, you know, in that day, early day three range, round four, at kind of that 125 to 150 range where they can get some good value, an experienced receiver uh, that can come in and be able to help them right away. Yeah, more explosive than he is fast. UCLA wide receiver Kyle Phillips, 5'11", 190 pounds. I think the tiny hands, tiny arms are going to you know, be red flags for teams. But when you're projecting a slot type, it's not as important that they have 30-plus inch arms. I think that is important for catch radius and that stuff. But he's really explosive, right? I think upper 80th percentile on the broad jumps. He's got upper 80th percentile on the agility drills. He's got the short area quicks and the explosiveness. I think it's a low 5-1-5-5-10-yard split for Kyle Phillips as well. I'm a huge fan of those measurables now. Projecting a slot only guy, it, it can be tough, right? That's another position too. Like unlike cornerback, where like if you don't have opportunity, you're going to be very limited, right? You only have one slot type in your offense unless you're running consistent ten personnel, which we haven't seen yet from teams. So I do think that if you're projecting him as a slot only type, you need to see a path to the field over the next two to three years. If you're even going, it's even going to be worth a fourth or fifth round pick early in that day three range. So I do think there are going to be teams that like feel that they have more of a hole at slot receiver that could invest in a Kyle Phillips. I don't think the Patriots are in that spot necessarily, though. I know you're a big value guy. You, you throw out the DraftKings odds. What are the odds that Slade Bolden is a Patriot, either seventh round or undrafted? <laughs> I think I think they're high. I think a lot of people like Slade Bolden. I think a lot. I think Kyle Phillips. I know too, Jeremiah like, I, said he'd be people in Tuscaloosa would be shocked if he's not a Patriot. So yeah, I mean he fits the mold, right? If it, like, you know, efficient route runner, all that stuff, does everything right. I think there's there's definitely like I mean. Golchek is obvious with what he covers at the receiver position. You have to play the receiver position well. That's why the Nikhil Harry pick still to this day is like as shocking as it is. Like they just yep. buy into this size and it doesn't make any sense, right? I mean, it's a position that they've really struggled to scout and develop. Like, I mean, period. I mean, going back to like Aaron Dobson and these other guys that they have drafted, like they have not done a good job of drafting receiver talent and developing receiver talent. What they have done a good job of is drafting or not or picking up an undrafted fancy good receivers already, right? You don't have to develop a Slade Bolden as much. You don't have to develop a Julian Julian Edelman as much, right? These are guys that are already really good at the position, but have deficient, not deficient, but like lower percentile height, lower percentile arm length, mm-hmm. lower percentile hands and all that kind of stuff that allows you to kind of bring them in and play in the positions that they're in. The good news about Nikhil Harry, at least it was a bad draft in 2019. No good wide receivers were taken that year. So it was fine. So it was like, you know, you missed, but like whatever, you know? No. By the way, Dion Branch. 
Deion Branch was the last time they drafted and developed a wide receiver. That was 2002. So it's about uh, David Givens. What? David Givens, I was going to say. Oh, well, Dave. David okay, Givens, seventh round. Te- technically, because he was five years later. He was he was five rounds later. I think it was the same draft, wasn't it? Weren't they the same draft? It was 02 or 03, so it's been yeah, a long time. But um, it's been a long time. I'm going to go offensive line. Like, neither one of these guys ever talk offensive line. It pains me because I'm a big body at heart. So Dylan Parm, I feel like it's a guy where – if you just know the name, you don't really realize how good he is. And I did a deep dive on him earlier today, and I was like, this guy's good. Like, he's he's really, really good. I think he has an opportunity to kind of just step in and take over. They, they don't have a guard right now. They need they lost both starting guards. They can fill one in with Mike Onwenu, but they, they still need a starting guard to add to that offensive line. I think he's a guy where they can draft him and plug him in and kind of feel comfortable with him. Um, but I've never really heard anybody talk about him in depth, so I'd love to get your, your thoughts on him. Yeah, I'm I'm a huge fan of Dylan Parham. I I do think that he projects more, and like from what I've heard, teams like in him, they like him at center, and that's not necessarily an arm length concern. I think he clears the threshold with 33 inch arms, but it's more like a weight concern, right? Like only six foot three, 311 pounds. Like there's more interest in him being a center, and he projects better athletically as a center than he does a guard. And athleticism isn't the most important thing for interior offensive linemen. His 40 yard dash, 95th percentile among NFL centers. Hand size, 87th percentile among NFL centers. Broad jump, upper. 80th percentile among centers like he is going to be probably projecting as a center on most teams boards that's not to say he can't play guard right he got that versatility he's obviously had position he has had run at guard i think what other people will like too is just really consistent i think he has over like three 3500 snaps played in his career there at memphis looked really good at the senior bowl jim Nagy wax poetic about dylan parham loves what he offers and he you know he's a very squatty frame type and how he pass protects. I mean, he kind of reminds me of, I'm forgetting his name, the Ohio State interior offensive lineman that now plays the Lions. But he's, there's, there's, you can kind of see like he can squat into his frame and actually pass protect and, and, and get into people's chest, which I think is really impressive. I think teams won't see him as like this high-end star, right? But when you're talking into your offensive linemen and you're bringing in guys like Dylan Parham, who are obviously like day two, maybe upper day three candidates, you're looking for guys that I think can immediately play. And you're looking for guys that also like have a high floor. And I think Parham has that. I think it's exactly the type of offensive lineman, interior offensive lineman that New England covets. New England of any team, in my opinion, totally understands that you don't need eliteness mm-hmm. on the interior offensive line. You need completeness, right? You need guys that are saying. not obvious, obvious, obvious weak links. And they, mm-hmm. they've done that with, I was really impressed when they made investments in Yeldy Froholt of Arkansas. I know he's not playing there now, but like they make investments in guys they know can win right away and don't hang their hat on trying to go get an elite guard prospect or an elite center prospect because the value just doesn't make sense. And I do think, I mean, Ted Karras making as much money as in Cincinnati, I think is super impressive. But like they understand obviously the value of, you know, losing a Ted Karras and letting others pay because you can pick up guys again, like Dylan Parham and some of these other interior offensive linemen that will be available to them. Tackle guard converts like Darian Kennard of Kentucky will be other things, you know, other types that I think New England will cover. I was going to say, if Patriots fans out there, if you're worried about filling a guard spot, just Joe Tooney, Shaq Mason, Ted Karras, Mike Onwenu, they, they find do. gems on day three, the guys that are just pro. I mean, Mike Onwenu is a PFF, like, what was he on, all-rookie team, all-pro? Just um, the process there. They have a really good offensive line coach. They know how to develop talent. They know how to scout talent. And they also, like, understand, like, I think they understand what creates a good floor for an interior offensive line player, right? I think the Tom Cables of the world chase ceilings along the offensive line. Like, I can turn – you know, this play, Jermaine Fetty into the best offensive tackle in the NFL. I can turn Alex Leatherwood. Yeah, you know, I, I can mean, turn that's, Alex that's the example, right? Exactly. I can turn Alex Leatherwood into the best offensive tackle in the NFL. And it's like, no, dude, we don't need you to turn anyone into best anything along the offensive line. We just need to make sure that they're good. 
Because if Jermaine Effetti isn't good, we're going to struggle, right? Like if, right. you know, these different players that we bring in that can be great aren't good, we're going to be in a really bad place. And I think that's what I, I do think that's one of the common concerns that you see with teams that are investing in, in offensive linemen, right? They're looking for guys that will be the next you know, Orlando pace when necess- that's not necessarily what teams need. Teams need consistency. Teams need low injuries, right? They need all those. That's the more important pieces of the puzzle when you're building an offensive line. So one question I want to ask you about the first round, I would just go back to the first round just for a minute here. Uh, we'll get we'll get off our prospects of the week, and you handled those masterfully. We appreciate it. That's why we wanted to do them with you because you could add so much to to the conversation. Um, but in the first round, you know, we, we we're thinking, okay, it's going to be wide receiver, or it's going to be cornerback, or maybe even it. What if they go tackle in the first round? Because you know, tackle is a, is a situation as a position where you look at it and say, okay, tackle may not be a high need right now, but Trent Brown's always hurt. Uh, Isaiah Wynn is on the and final year, right? And so, incentive based, right? Well. And it, it is right. And so, Trent Brown, you know, I mean, if they don't, they don't have to pay anything if he doesn't play. But still, you know, I don't know how much you can rely on him for the next two years. And then you have to make a decision about Isaiah Wynn at the end of the year whether you want to extend him or not. And so, uh, they famously do this a lot, right? They took uh, Solder before they needed to. They took Isaiah Wynn before they needed to. They drafted these guys before they absolutely had to have them start their rookie year. I it wouldn't necessarily surprise me to see them take a guy at 21. Now, the question I have for you is, I'll throw Tre- Trevor Penning in with those top three tackles because the top three tackles are obviously, you know, the, the three that you talk about. And those those three, I don't think, have any chance of getting there. Do you think any – is there any way in hell that any of those four guys make it to 21? Um, any yeah. chance? Yeah, with what I've heard, I don't. Even, I don't think Trevor Penning's getting maybe even outside the top ten, dude. Like yeah. a lot of a lot of the league is really high on Trevor Penning because they love the nastiness, they love the grit, they love. You know, the so, would, so would Cross be? Would Cross be the fourth tackle and then? So if that's the case? I, I, from a from looking at it from a media perspective, the league, the league is projecting. I, I'm I'm being intentional with that word. Projecting yeah. Cross lower than Penning. I am not buying the propaganda. I think that is teams trying to get Cross to fall, honestly, because Cross is too damn good, in my opinion. I saw him mocked as low as the Raiders at 22 when they still had the 22nd overall pick. That, in my opinion, is just absurd. Like I don't, I don't see him falling that far. Now, I know the league is really high on Penning. I know Akia Kwanu and Evan Neal are probably locks to go inside the top six, top seven picks. Cross falls to 21. I do think that's another situation similar to Jordan Davis where the New England Patriots are in a really, really good spot to go get a very talented player at positions they consistently covet. Defensive tackle, offensive tackle, and I do think Cross would be a slam dunk. That, if I had to guess, would be the player that falls of the big four. Now, Mike Renner, my podcast co-host and the lead draft analyst at PFF, is really high on Bernard Ryman. Bernard Ryman, in my opinion, kind of goes opposite to what the Patriots chase, right? Opposite to what they're looking for at that position. They're looking for security. Bernard Ryman as talented as he could be, I still think there's, there's a lot of opportunity for him to improve in the NFL. And you talked to Paul Alexander, a former NFL offensive line coach who's now working with Bernard Ryman. He's like, there's no player in this class that takes to coaching as well as Ryman. And I 100% buy into that. But again, it's going to take coaching. You know, he's going to need to be coached in the NFL. He's going to probably right. need to add some weight, whatever it is. I, I, I think that's that probably steers them away from Ryman. And there's just enough need on this team to where if Cross isn't there, they're not going to force a Ryman, right? If Jordan Davis isn't there, they're not going to force a Travis Jones. You know, they're going to go get positions that they need elsewhere, but like guys that are higher on their board. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right, thank you. I have I have one more tackle question, and it's it's like a personal thing where I, I like Darian Kennard as a tackle. I think I'm the only person in the world that likes him as a tackle. I just – 
I don't really get the, you know, here's a guy who's six five and like three forty. Mm-hmm. Let's throw him at, at at guard for some reason. I just don't get it. So tell me why I'm wrong. I, I think so. You look at back at the first two days <clears throat> at the senior bowl, he played almost exclusively tackle. He was someone that they highlighted when they went against Jermaine Johnson at the end of that practice as someone who was all-star, right? He plays guard the last day and a half because his feet get sloppy and you know, he doesn't, it's feet, feet, feet with him. I was talking to Cole Kublik down there. It's like, look at his feet and they're just tangled up consistently. And it's not, it's not the size concerns, right? The guy has like 30, like what? 12 inch hands or some insane thing. His arms are long. He's a big dude. It's more the foot speed, the quickness. He does not have that athleticism to hang with speed at offensive tackle. Now I still think that there will be teams that want to try him at tackle because it's obviously a more valuable position, but I think his, floor projection at guard is so much better, right? Because you don't need as quick a feed. Athleticism is not as important on the interior offensive line. And I will be the first to say I hate pushing good offensive tackles that played in the SEC, especially into interior offensive line. But I do think people will covet that versatility and know that they have a high floor guard if they need to push him into guard. And there will be teams that want to push him at tackle. And, and that has value too, right? And if he you know, maybe maybe drops some of this weight and foot speed improves and, and, and technique improves, he can develop even into an offensive tackle. I think it's too often like – I think with with big boards and media, sometimes it's like he's a guard, he's a tackle. It's like teams do not look at it like that. Teams are like this guy can play tackle and guard. Right. They tell you what you can do. Scouts are like this is what he can do. And if we brought him in, this is what we'd want to do with him and all that kind of stuff. It's up to the coaches kind of to make that decision from there. When you see like who are my top guards in the NFL or this NFL draft, it's like I got Darren Kennard as a guard, but who knows? Right. The team who picks him will play where they go. Yeah, makes sense. It makes sense. Listen, on a personal note, how amazing was that day? That I mean, we could you can go back on the Twitter timeline and see how amazing the day was for you. But how amazing was that day when the moment was announced? Devonte Adams traded to your Las Vegas Raiders, and and you know adds a little special thing in there too because your co-host is also a Packers fan. So the fact that you took him away from the Packers, he comes to Vegas. Uh, that must have been that must have been awesome for you. No, I, I'm obviously it was awesome, right? I think the Raiders. It's been a labor. It's been a laborious love there, but uh, it's been fun. I had season tickets for my dad when I was a kid, and we had season tickets for like ten years, and they've never been good. You know that 2016 season, I'll hold it dearly. But obviously, Derek Carr breaks his leg, and it's all for naught. Even last year, as successful as they were getting into the playoffs, they were never like you remember buying him as this deep postseason contender with like an MVP candidate quarterback, like I was in 2016 when I bought my Derek Carr jersey. But getting Devonte Adams obviously makes them competitive, right? They're plus 600 to win the division. And they're plus 180 to make the playoffs. They're still not expected to do much damage in 2021, just, just with how loaded the AFC West is. And they right. still you know, have the worst quarterback in that division. It's a quarterback-driven league. What this does, in my opinion, it, it allows the Raiders to start to build a competitive winning culture in Las Vegas. And if there's anything probably Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels want, if they are committed to being in Las Vegas long-term, is that culture, right? And like, that you don't get by bottoming out in your first year, trading Derek Carr, trying to go get a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud in 2023. You get that by starting to be competitive, right? And starting to make moves where you are going to be competitive with Devontae Adams. Are they going to win a Super Bowl next year? No. They might not even make the playoffs. But I do think you'll start to see a Raiders team that hopefully buys into this winning culture. And I think it gives them a real opportunity to see the biggest question. And well, there's probably a chance they extend Derek Carr before the season. But if they don't, it gives them this opportunity to like, hey, guess what, Derek? Last year, your contract, and you have your best receiver you've ever played with ever. If it works out and you're a top 10 quarterback, top eight quarterback in the NFL next year, and the offense is top five, we're going to give you a big monster contract, and we're going to see if this thing can work as we move forward. If it doesn't, 
know, we're probably going to part ways and we're going to try, you know, say he isn't a top 10 quarterback next year, top 15 quarterback next year, probably going to part ways and move on from you for whatever it is. And, and with that decision, look to upgrade at quarterback to finally assert themselves to where they're favored to make the playoffs, right? To where they're favored to win the division that ultimately leads to more long-term success. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, you see it happen around the NFL, right? I mean, I didn't think that big-name guys like this would get traded, and Russell Wilson's getting traded, and Devontae Adams getting traded, and Tyreek Hill's getting traded. I mean, I, I taught – I was – MCAS was going on, so I was in the basement, um, and I come up from with no service, and I come from the basement, and I got – the first notification I got was, like, the Dolphins and the Jets have agreed to a trade for De- Tyreek Hill, and I'm like, did Schefter get hacked? Like, what is going on right now? It's just like it yeah. came out of nowhere, but and then, you know, he gets traded. It's crazy. Yeah, the offseason, I think – I've been trying to like go beyond the analysis of this is the craziest offseason ever because I think everyone and their mother has tweeted that. Like, why exactly is this rearing its head? And I think it's teams like more like understanding like this eliteness component you need to be competitive, like to be deep postseason competitive, right? To be Super Bowl competitive, there are decisions you have to make as a team that are aggressive. Like, you can't like this, like build through the draft and like build a dynasty and all that stuff. It was like, just like, look what the Rams did. You know what I mean? I mean? Even with like the Kansas City Chiefs, they had Alex Smith and they traded all the way up to go get Patrick Mahomes, sign Tyree Kill to the sponsor, get Travis Kelsey. They go add all these offensive linemen. I think you're seeing teams be more aggressive and more hyper aware of windows because these windows exist now, right? Not enough people talk about the change of the rookie, the rookie wage scale. The rookie wage scale legitimately created windows for teams. It, it, it happened obviously a handful of years ago and teams are adjusting on how they build rosters, but like the rookie wage scale has objectively created windows for teams to go chase Super Bowls. Now, if your quarterback's on a rookie deal, go make aggressive moves to try and go win a Super Bowl. If your quarterback's not on a rookie contract, do everything you can to maintain the weapons you have, throw picks away at the, at, at your mercy. Exactly what the chiefs with Orlando Brown jr. Exactly what the Rams did with Matthew Stafford. Like, yep. go. like you have to be aggressive. Now, if you have that quarterback on a rookie contract, just bail on the picks and try and make them shoot the moon. If you, if, um, or if you have them on that next contract, and if you have them on the rookie contract, buy players, buy players, buy players, do what you can to make moves. Right. It makes a lot of sense. And you're right. Like that, you know, it's funny how that changes things. You know, I actually think the chiefs are, because I think kind of everyone is set on the Patriots trading down. We're like, we're, we're mentally preparing for it. I think the chiefs are a great team to trade back with because they have those back-to-back picks. You could trade with them for that 30th pick which still gives them the pick before you. And then you can pick up either their second, you know, one of their seconds or one of their third round picks. And now you're talking about getting, you know, two picks inside the, inside the top hundred, like we were talked about, and you still stay in the first round. So you have that option. If you're taking a guy from one of those skill positions, whether it's, you know, cornerback or tackle or whatever, where you can get that fifth year option and it's cheaper than extending them. Right. And so uh, it allows you to kind of have that fifth year in your back pocket if you need it, you know? Oh, 100%. I mean, that's, again, like that's a huge part of it as well. Like how they've built rookie contracts has changed roster building, right? Mm-hmm. Has like objectively changed roster building for teams and how they approach um, addressing the quarterback position. You know, like people are like, why aren't, you know, you know, the conversation, like why aren't teams, you know, letting quarterbacks sit anymore? You know, why, why, why not sit a year, sit two years? Buddy, now you have to right. maximize this win. Like you have a guy who's making no money at the most important position in the sport for four years, five years, if you draft in the first round. 
If you're not maximizing that, that's what's like so absurd about the San Francisco 49ers situation. It's ridiculous. There's yeah. not enough people talking about how absurd that situation is. They trade two first-round picks. It's not three, it's two. They just swap with the third. Two first-round picks to go up and get Trey Lance. And they're still probably, they still are in a position where they could be paying Jimmy Garoppolo to star and Trey Lance is saying not just one year, but two years. It's, it's why it's absurd what the Packers did with Jordan Love. I mean, like, what you're not maximizing your opportunity. Right. That way. Like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, the, those days are gone. Like, you know, I think too often people aren't, don't look at like the rules of the game and how that's like legitimately changing what people are doing. And it's honestly like that rookie wage scale is a huge component. And salary cap and the adjustments that we've made to that, it's a huge component of like why rosters are building built they were they are and like why teams are making the decisions they're making. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. All right. We have taken a ton of your time. Thank you so much for coming through, man. I'm gonna let you plug things. I will tell you. So I know you guys do the tailgate show, and I love how you guys go out and actually tailgate. Now you usually do college shows. I will say it seems like nothing is set in stone because the schedule hasn't come out yet, but it seems like there may be a Pat's pulpit trip to Green Bay next year. Ooh. I know you're not too far from Green Bay, and Mike is a fan of the Packers. So if you want to come out, you know, the first round's on us. I I can tell you right now, I don't know about Spags. Keegan's not much of a drinker either. I don't know about Spags. I cannot hang with you guys f- for sure. For sure. <laughs> I can hang for like 20 minutes, and then I'm drinking water the rest of the way through. But, uh, but uh, you know, that'd be a lot of fun if we uh, if we, if we we met up at some point. So, yeah, we'll have um, to extend the tailgate tour out to NFL. I still haven't made it up to Lambeau. Mike invited me to one of the playoff games, but I wasn't able to make it. But uh, I definitely want to extend the trip beyond college. Yeah, no, that's it's that's that's like the mecca, right? It's like you know they don't play there for another eight years. I'm like, we got to go unless it's like you know some crazy weekend or something like that we can't make. So, but uh, listen, do me a favor, just plug some of the stuff you're you're doing before you before you head out, just so people. I mean, listen, yeah, people, if you're not following Austin around, like what the hell are we doing here? I, by the way, I gotta say, you, I love the 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 branding, the branding change you guys did from the two for one drafts to tailgate. I listen to you guys all year long now because you guys do a great job breaking down, you know, the NFL games from, from the week. So, um, you know, some, some really good stuff going on over there at PFF. Really appreciate that, Pat. Yeah, definitely follow me on Twitter, PFF underscore Austin Gale. You can check out our podcast, Tailgate, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, also have a podcast coming out with a new co-host. It's Aiden Hutchinson, the projected number one overall pick. That's scheduled to release in April 2022. That podcast is going to be insane. It's four episodes of pretty much all things Aiden Hutchinson, which has been a phenomenal ride so far over the last two or three months. And then continue to listen to this podcast. You guys do a great job. Thanks, man. Appreciate Best that. Twitter header in the game, Austin Gale. No one, no one has a better Twitter. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. All right. Thanks so much, man. We appreciate it. Have yourself a good night. All right. Yeah. You too. Appreciate thanks. It. All right. Take care. All right. That was dope. Uh, yep. That was awesome. So Austin was was fantastic. We love having him on. So. Um, all right. We we don't have much to finish up with here. Spags had to run because he his hockey game started earlier than he thought apparently. Uh, so worst team in the league. He, I, I, I gotta mention it. I know he worst, won't watch this, but worst team. In the league. Yeah, you know, I mean, what are you gonna do? You know, he admitted to us it's the worst team in the league. It's okay. What are you gonna do? You know, it's all right. So, um, but uh, but yes, so I guess we do tell stories. I mentioned it already a little bit, uh, but my my D block, I, I don't know, I mentioned something about people have asked me before, and I'm like, oh yeah, like I podcast this and that. And my D block went nuts when they found out. They were like, this is amazing. We have to like, we have to, we have to get everyone to sub on your YouTube. They're like sharing it on their story. I don't know what they're sharing it on, whether it's Snapchat or TikTok or, you know, it's these uh, kids, I'll tell you, or got all these what is it? Snap, videos. snap, snap face, you know, they're like, whatever they're on. <laughs> right. And, uh, and you know, they're sharing it. You gotta, you know, sub- 
So they're trying to get us to 350. We were at like 275 or something like that. And we're up to, we're all the way up to like 330 or something crazy like that. They're just, they're there trying to go. spread it around the school. So shout out to my D block for, uh, for, for hooking it up, getting us the subscribers. Who knows? You know, maybe you never know. Maybe I'll, um, maybe I'll be able to retire from teaching from the YouTube money that we're going to make. 343. Uh, <laughs> we're almost there. They're doing a good job. Look at that. See, look at that. One of my kids, one of the kids on my D blog was literally creating burner accounts. And, and subscribe. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, ah, oh, just making random g- emails. I'm like, you're a lunatic. Anyways, eighth graders, what are you going to do? You know what I mean? A lot of respect. So, I was going to, I was going to throw one of them up on the screen, but they're all underage. We can't do that. That's nah, no, nah, can't do that. What, you know, it's like, it, yeah, it's one of them. It's like, you know, they don't have their name or something like that, but I'm like, then who doesn't have their name and stuff? So, but anyways, right. uh, it's good stuff. Also, um, someone mentioned something. In, oh yes. Team crazy, Matt. Uh, pointed you out here about about not developing Julian Edelman. That's that's the old Nick Felger. That's Nick Felger. Jeez, that's the old that's the old Michael Felger. Oh, the Patriots didn't actually do anything with Julian Edelman. He just was. Um, yeah. Yes, that was the last that was the last wide receiver they. But he was a seventh round pick. I mean, it's not like they drafted him early and then they. He was essentially a UDFA, right? So, so yes, right. it does happen. It does happen. But you know, it's one of those things where it's like it doesn't happen often. And when they target a guy early in the draft. It hasn't worked out since 2002 with Deion Branch. So that's, I think that's the bigger point. Like you, know? that. you start counting on developing seventh round picks into Pro Bowl. I mean, he never made a Pro Bowl, but franchise which is, legend. Which is ridiculous that he didn't make a Pro Bowl. Well, so. it's a wide receiver. You got to be top five or what, top eight? He was never top eight. I know. I know. I still think he is a shot. Consistently top 20, though. Ooh. For like five years. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. I know it's not Patriots lead. Well, it's kind of Patriots lead. I forgot to mention it to. I forgot to mention to Austin um, because uh, I – what's it called? Um, <laughs> so I um, I made the, my 28-3 to 3 joke about, you know, about the Matt Ryan getting oh, traded yeah. for, for a third-round pick and, and so on and so forth, and I sent to him. They do delete the tweet every week. Uh, and I was like, you know, is this delete the tweet worthy? I'm like, is this – and he's like, yeah. He's like, everyone outside of New England is, you know, is kind of over the 28-3 to 3 thing. I just – I went on his Twitter thing just looking at – 28.3 thousand followers he has Lit- exactly right now i'm like come on that's, awesome. that's ridiculous yeah austin does that <laughs> so like, that's fantastic so i forgot to mention that but but nevertheless uh great episode this week we appreciate you guys coming through as always um next week we'll be back with more draft stuff maybe even before that depending on what happens we'll get we have to try to do we got to try to do some um some what's it called uh some mock draft stuff we had a question about that on Twitter uh, from Oliver who, who usually listens, but um, you know, boy. yeah, yeah, about, about, about mock draft stuff. So, you know, I'd like to get on and do one at some point, maybe do like a, like a mock draft special or something like that. Um, and kind of, and kind of go from there because we probably aren't doing the mock draft stuff. We will be doing the live show the first night of the draft and maybe even the second night. We'll see. I don't know if my wife's going to go for that one, but maybe you never know. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of, we're kind of all over the place this year. It's been, yeah, it's been a hell of a few weeks for for us. So we'll sure see. Happened. You know, yep. we got a, we got a lot of things to figure out. That's we right. got a W stream comment, which no doubt. So hip with the kids, yeah. they're so cool. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna screenshot that and like throw it on Twitter. W Love stream, it. fantastic, fantastic. All right, guys, thanks for uh, thanks for listening. Appreciate it, and we will uh, we'll talk to you soon.